This is Self Work, and I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. At Self Work, we'll discuss psychological and emotional issues common in today's world and what to do about them. I'm Dr. Margaret, and Self Work is a podcast dedicated to you taking just a few minutes today for your own self work. Hello, and welcome to Self Work. I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford, a clinical psychologist out of Fayetteville, Arkansas, and I started self-work more than four years ago to extend the walls of my practice to those of you who might already be engaged in therapy or just are very interested in psychological and emotional issues, to those of you who've recently been diagnosed with something and you're looking for answers, or you have a relationship issue that you don't understand. But thirdly, to a group of you who might say I'd never darken the door of a therapist, but you're here listening to self-work because... There's something nagging inside of you that you want answers to as well. So thanks for being here on this 216th episode of Self Work. I was recently asked to contribute to an article on the effect of the pursuit of perfectionism as it's tied to the growing use of cosmetic injectables in teens and women in their 20s. In fact, 20-somethings are becoming hypervigilant about extremely subtle signs of aging, And they're being told by estheticians and plastic surgeons that if they, quote-unquote, start now, they can fend off the dreaded wrinkles that are awaiting them down the doomed path of aging. It's expensive, and I would say more than just financially, but lots of young women are doing it. All of this made me think of a picture on Instagram I noticed months ago, a before and after, of a young woman who was about 22, hadn't had cosmetic procedures at the time of the first picture, And the second one was after she'd chosen to have multiple facial injectables. The difference was evident. The first picture, she looked kind of outdoorsy and smiling, very attractive young woman. Her skin tone was tanned, her hair long and sort of dusty blonde. In the second picture, she actually looked less unique and more like what we might think of as generic beauty. She was beautiful, all right, by American standards, no longer tanned, but she had an expertly crafted snow blonde hair color, long and shiny eyes and lips that were really colorful, cheekbones that stood out prominently, and her skin was very clear. Far be it from me to say that that's a bad or a harmful thing. It does, however, make me think about where you get true self-esteem. What exactly does it have to do with how perfect your look and your life appear to others? And do these kinds of things make you happier, or does it appear to others that you have a happy life? may sound very familiar to those with you who know I talk a lot about perfectly hidden depression. The listener email today is from someone who suffered childhood neglect, and she knows it's affecting her relationships in her adult life, and I'll hope to help out where I can. So glad you're here. And in this episode, sponsored once again by BetterHelp, we're going to talk how much we're all being affected by showing the world a perfect picture of our lives and how that search is affecting self-esteem and happiness. And we'll talk about the three sources of true happiness. My husband and I were lucky enough to travel to Italy three years ago. We saw and did and ate all we could manage, and it was such a joy to soak up the Tuscan culture. But we both noticed a phenomenon that was intriguing and a bit sad. As we were listening to the history of one famous sculpture after another in a museum, 
pondering how someone could so expressively carve a massive body out of stone, asking questions of the guide about what exactly was going on historically during the time the piece was created, and the actual meaning of different aspects of it. What we noticed was there were people everywhere, glued behind their phones, taking pictures. I watched as one woman walked all around the Michelangelo's giant David, for example, her camera light indicating she was videoing her experience. Yet I never saw her actually look at the piece. In fact, she walked away with her eyes still peering into her phone. She never smiled or even once shared the moment with anyone she seemed to be traveling with. Now I imagine she'll be busy sending that video to loved ones, look what I saw. But did she really see it? experience it? Or was her picture mostly a sign that she'd been there, physically present maybe, but not emotionally? I've also watched as people, pre-COVID of course, were served food at a restaurant and phones were whipped out by all and pictures studiously taken from different angles, turning the plate so the picture would look as professional as it can. Then those very pictures were whisked away to their spot on the internet and in come the responses, which of course have to get liked. So it does make me wonder, who is staying in the moment? Or maybe we're developing another way of cataloging that moment. Or does the cataloging itself and need for it to be just right, even perfect, mean that your positive experience of your meal lies in the hands of those that see it and like it, not in whether or not it had just the right amount of garlic? Now, don't get me wrong. I've done similar things. I'm on Instagram, and I went through a period of time where I took pictures of food. I finally got kind of bored with it. But how does that mildly frantic pursuit of the perfect picture of your life affect you? Self-esteem is built on so many things. Breadth of knowledge, seeing your place in the world is meaningful, challenging yourself and learning what you value, experiencing oneself as making a difference, liking who you are, enjoying connection with others, who are supportive and loving, and and there are more. But taking multiple pictures so you get the best one, using filters to change your skin tone and make it more acceptable, and one of the saddest issues, needing to take selfies or pictures of an experience rather than being in the experience. All of these seem not about learning from and soaking up the present, but how that present experience will be perceived by others in the future, even just the next moment. And so what does this have to do with self-esteem? Because you can't control how others perceive you. You might put out that what you consider perfect picture that you're counting on for likes or follows. But where is the source of your self-esteem? Let's say you're climbing a mountain. Do you find your esteem in climbing that mountain or having others like the picture of you climbing the mountain? The first you have control over. The second you do not. The first, you'll be absorbed in the present. The second can make you wait for a response that may or may not come. And if it doesn't, does that jar your sense of accomplishment or esteem about it? Then comparison with others can be another huge struggle. And millennials have had comparison right at their fingertips all their lives. The world has gotten much bigger. Opportunities and what others are doing can be seen in videos from around the globe. Older generations of parents recommended that their kids find financial stability or follow in a parent's footsteps, and that was the way to success in life and happiness. Millennial parents said, we just want you to be happy. Well, guess what? Happiness can be much more subtle and elusive, especially since the world is at your fingertips over the internet. 
What if someone else climbed a taller mountain or took a better picture? Does the worth or the happiness of what you've accomplished disappear due to this comparison? That's a huge danger. Victoria Garrick, a highly successful college soccer player at USC who's now become a mental health advocate, says in her moving TEDx talk, The Hidden Opponent, that her college Instagram pictures where she looks giggly and happy were not showing her truth. She pointed to the first of three pictures and said, after the first, in about 20 minutes, I was so overwhelmed at that party, I had to leave. She pointed to the second picture. We're all really Christmassy, but people only show you what they want you to see. And the third pick, I had them take maybe 50 pictures before I was okay with what I looked like. All the time that these three pictures were taken, she was growing intensely depressed and even suicidal. The happiness that looked present was not at all. And I've heard many stories just like Victoria's. People only show you what they want you to see. Boy, how true is that? Only your friends that you trust implicitly will you open up about what's not so perfect about you or your life. Let's go back for a moment to the young girl that I mentioned in the intro, the one that had begun work on her face at the age of 22-ish, striving for a perfect look, the perfect face. Now, it's time for me to let you know that I myself have used injectables, not Botox. I want my face to move, but I've used a filler several times since turning 50, and it does help my own sense of confidence. Nora Ephron, in her book, I Feel Bad About My Neck, described the regime she religiously followed every month to maintain a sense of herself as she aged. She's really funny. If you don't know who Nora Ephron is, you've got to check her out. She's quite witty. So yes, I think it can help your self-esteem by maybe being able to take a bit of control over a process that you don't have a lot of control of. But like many things, it works best in moderation. For you may look a bit different, but it does nothing really to make you happy. I've known absolutely drop-dead gorgeous people that weren't happy. I've also known highly successful people who fought off intense depression. Because happiness resides in a much more internal space than what a picture can show. Before we talk more about happiness, I'd like you to hear from BetterHelp and me and a special offer they have for you that just might help you find that true sense of happiness you're looking for. BetterHelp has now been a sponsor of Self Work for a few months, and I've been hearing how pleased you are with their services. I couldn't be more excited about that, as by now you know I'm a huge believer myself in the power of therapy. What is BetterHelp? It's an online therapy service that has earned the number one ranking for the quality of their service to their consumers. When you contact them, you are offered several different licensed professional therapists to choose from, all that have been vetted by BetterHelp. You can have sessions via video, text, or phone. And I found, because of course I checked it out before recommending it to you, that each therapist was very available, literally a text away, and made some of the same therapeutic suggestions to me that I'd offer myself as a therapist. Here's an excerpt from a listener who wrote in, I'm a 23-year-old living in Brazil. I'm only writing this message in order to express my gratitude towards you and your podcast. Having anxiety disorder, I always felt like I needed therapy, but I was too anxious to start it. With self-work, not only I've learned some valuable insights about dealing with my condition, but also the basics of how therapy sessions work, which allowed me to finally get some courage to start it. 
With the coronavirus pandemic, I'd also been concerned about attending personal sessions. But then I learned about BetterHelp in your podcast, and it sounded just perfect for what I needed. I've been getting online counseling from BetterHelp for six weeks now, and I feel like it's been helping me a lot. That's just so wonderful to hear. And now BetterHelp has a special offer for you. 10% off the first month of sessions if you use this link. Trybetterhelp.com slash selfwork. That's trybetterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash selfwork. I'm never more honored than hearing someone sought therapy after listening to selfwork. And if selfwork is helping you, maybe BetterHelp is your next step. I looked at several posts from the world of positive psychology that were trying to talk about what exactly was the root of happiness. Now, positive psychology is a school of psychology that focuses on both individual and societal well-being rather than studying illness or deficit like many of the other schools of psychology do. I found an article by Anushka Reese that was simple and to the point, so I'll be pulling more from her article, and as usual, I'll have it in the show notes and Here on the episode, I'll add my two bits. She points out three major sources of happiness, pleasure, challenge, and meaning. Let's take a look at all of these. She sort of designated them as pure pleasure, pure challenge, and pure meaning at first. So let's talk about pure pleasure. She says that's an immediately positive sensation. Things are pleasant. They make you smile. You laugh at a joke. You eat chocolate. You walk in the sunshine. It's anything that feels good in that exact moment. One could say, I guess, that posting a picture on the internet can provide pleasure, but not when it's laced with the kind of perfectionism that we've been talking about. A more spontaneous posting would, however, as you're cataloging a positive sensation. You're having fun. Now, she would say, these aren't challenging or meaningful things. Pure pleasure is just that. Pure pleasure. Then there's pure challenge. She says, this is a sense of accomplishment we get after we did something that required us to use our skills or solve a problem. You don't necessarily enjoy the activity, but you feel some satisfaction. You feel happiness because you had the motivation and determination to get it done and to use what are already your skills. And that sense of accomplishment can make you happy. Then there's pure meaning. This is an activity that we consider to be worthwhile and that has a greater purpose. Improving yourself, doing something in your community, working for a social cause. Parents probably do a lot of activities in the purely meaningful category, meaning that they do a lot for their children because it's meaningful for them. It has a higher purpose. But it's not necessarily difficult, nor is it pleasant. Again, when it's pure. Then she says, There are certain things that can be combined, like pleasure and challenge can be combined. So these are things you like doing, but also do require some effort. And she says, activities that fall into this category have the greatest flow potential. So literally, you can get lost in the doing of it. And then combine challenge with meaning. This means that it challenges you, it requires effort, but it has a lot of meaning to you. It's doing something that is really helping you or helping others, like helping out at an animal shelter or losing weight. It's both challenging and meaningful. Then you can combine meaning and pleasure. You're doing something that's meaningful to your or another person's life, and you're enjoying it at the same time. Then when all three are combined, that's true joy. 
pleasure, challenge, and meaning. Actually, I would say this podcast is that for me. But they can be small things, even seemingly inconsequential things. And then she makes another important point. So let's cover it again. It's pure pleasure, pure challenge, and pure meaning. And then you can combine those, or you can find them in one activity, pleasure, challenge, and meaning. But then she makes a very important point. If you add one of these three to any activity, it'll tend to make you happier. Let's say you love being alone. So put on some music that you love or add a candle. Add pleasure or add challenge. If you're working out, then add a little more weight or try to do an activity you've never tried before. And you can also make almost anything else meaningful because you become aware that you're gaining something or you're giving something, and that adds to the meaning. So you can add pleasure, you can add challenge, you can add meaning to anything, and you will feel happier. Now, none of the three of these things has anything to do with looking perfect or being perfect. All three definitely have to do with staying in the moment you're in, not even thinking what it will look like to or how it will be interpreted by others, whether it will be liked. Its joy has to do with these three things, pleasure, challenge, and meaning. If you want to take a picture, take a picture, but one will that allow your own joy to be shared and not compared. This woman used the speak pipe function, which is found either on the landing page of my website or you can find it here in the show notes. And she talks about childhood neglect. Hello, my name is Patricia. I'm looking for your podcast or writings on neglected childhood because it affects my relationships today and I can't find it. If you can find it for me and send it to me, I'll be exceedingly grateful. Thank you so much. Bye. So in response to this question, I would recommend that she listen to episode 124, where I talked about learning from the voices of childhood neglect, and that will be in your show notes as well. What I don't mention in this episode is the concept of attachment. Children that are neglected by a parent or parents aren't going to have a secure, stable way of connecting with others because they themselves weren't offered safety and security. What attachment theory states is that the way a parent connected with you forms a template for the way you're going to try and be in relationship with others in your adulthood. And what's interesting is that abuse versus neglect creates different attachment styles or how you will unconsciously approach others. Here's a quote from a Psychology Today article by Dr. Grant Brenner on just this topic. Neglect may result in the child's feeling unwanted and discarded, for example, Whereas despite being violent and destructive, physical abuse does not necessarily coincide with frank abandonment and rejection. Neglected children do not receive attention at all, whereas abused children do receive attention, albeit in the form of undeserved harsh punishment. While both abuse and neglect are thought, therefore, to lead to insecure attachment, they may foster different developmental outcomes. In fact, preliminary research has found that avoidant adult attachment is associated with childhood physical abuse, whereas neglect is associated with adult anxious attachment, and that the relationship between different forms of childhood maltreatment may have a more complex relationship with adult attachment. That's a lot of words. This is mostly common sense when you think about it. For the child that was hit, 
They're going to be very avoidant in relationships. They're going to be risk averse. They're going to be very, very cautious. And for someone who was neglected, they're going to be more anxious about, are they really lovable? Are they really valuable? They may be needy. They may have very low self-esteem. It's Like I said, it makes sense. You expect from others what your parents or parent handed out. So you develop an emotional reaction set. Now, can you do anything about this? Yes, you can. You just have to monitor and manage what is your innate tendency created by that neglect. That may be what the listener is trying to talk about, that she's realized that she has a set way of approaching and that she wants to change it. So you have to really work on your inner dialogue and the how you're making decisions about people. I hope that's helpful. I want to thank you all for being here. Some of you have left such kind reviews, and I truly want to thank you for those. I actually sent one of them to my editor because she said, or he said, your sound is lovely, transitions, editing, smooth, and content evocative and direct. So, yeah, that's my editor. He's a genius. His name is John Crowley out of Little Rock, if you want to find him. But here's another one. Just found this podcast this week. I'm really enjoying it. I'm a therapist in the field 20 years. I don't always agree with Dr. Rutherford, but I enjoy my one-sided conversation. After that, either shifts my view or solidifies my view. This takes tremendous effort to do and is done with such professionalism. Thank you for sharing with us. You're so welcome. And whoever you are, I invite you to email me at askdrmargaret at drmargaretrutherford.com and tell me your perspective. I would love to learn from you. And thank you all for sharing that you enjoy self-work. As I've said many, many times before, you're my best marketing team. My book, Perfectly Hidden Depression, is out and has been out for about 14 months now. It can be found anywhere you want to buy books. It's really about people who need to stay in control and have great difficulty expressing any kind of painful emotion or connecting with it in any way. There are over 60 exercises in the book that help you do just that, whether you consider yourself a perfectionist or not. I've had several people tell me they've read the book, they don't consider themselves a perfectionist, but they got a lot out of especially the workbook experiences and just the general overall tone of the book. So it's a compilation of my own experience as a person, my experience as a professional, and my passion for trying to get this message out before we lose more people to suicide who simply don't look depressed to anyone. And that's frightening. I also want to announce something that I probably should have announced a long time ago, that I am available for book club meetings or seminars. And soon on my website, you'll be able to find the direct selections that I can offer. I'm developing courses anywhere from 30 minutes to two hours to a day-long training. I'd be happy to come to your group, whether you're a therapist or not. I'm quite good at Zoom these days, (laughs) so we can always connect via Zoom. Just email me at askdrmargaret at drmargaretrutherford.com, and I'd love to talk to you about it. Thank you, as always, for being here. I do have a Facebook closed group at facebook.com slash groups slash self-work. We're 2,600 strong, very diverse, wonderful, supportive group. Please take very good care. These are scary and challenging times. And I certainly hope that you can find happiness within them. Thank you for making self-work a part of that journey. 
I'm Dr. Margaret, and this has been Self Work.